Welcome, welcome to another episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. We're so thankful to have you on our show. Thankful to all of you who are listening live and all of you who are listening to the recording, to the podcast of this. We're just blown away by uh, the response that we have so far, and it's, uh, it's due to all of you. So we, there's three of us here, me and Chris, our, our co-host, and Annie, our producer, and I'm going to have them just say hi in a second, but I just want to make sure you understand that this is not possible without all of you. And so we're really thankful. We're thankful to God for your taking valuable time out of your life to listen in. And uh, thank you for the comments, too, and for the people who have reached out and given us stories and given us uh, just little insights as to what they're getting from this. It really is helpful for us to understand uh, as we go forward from here what what is helpful to people and what is not. So it's honestly, tonight we're... We're talking about uh, dealing with critical people, and I want to say up front, we appreciate critiques. We do. We, that's important for us. Part of that is there's growth in that. So we want you to know we, we definitely want encouragement. We love that. We love affirmation. We like to know what we're doing right that's helpful to you. We also like to know what you would like to see and maybe things that can help. We, we've actually, since the beginning of the show, since we started, this is, I think, week five, now, and since we started this, we've gotten some great critiques from people that have helped us adjust. We've grown, we're growing. I, I had a, a person who, uh, who I respect highly say, if you're, if you're growing, then you're always going to be a student. If you're growing, you're always going to be a student. And so we want to grow. So we're always wanting to learn and we want to hear from you. And if you've noticed changes in this, in the in the show that's because people have helped us adjust and we would love we welcome that so also back to what i was saying before chris and annie annie's our producer chris is our our co-host and i'm kurt i am one of your two hosts chris is the other one chris why don't you introduce yourself Chris, you're not talking. I think I'll go because we don't hear Chris. I think he muted himself. Okay. Annie, why don't you start? I'm Annie, and I am originally from Phoenix, and I moved to California about five years ago and up to the Central Coast about four years ago. Um, I don't do a lot with my time except for work. That's my life now show so you know I just hang out and do what I can and have fun doing it and the best part is making fun of Kurt <laughs> I, th- I I have so much fun doing that <laughs> I have fun with you having fun doing that I appreciate well. you giving me the opportunity to make fun of you at all times well, I've been called low-hanging fruit in my life, so uh, I don't think it's much of an option. It's just who I am. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Chris, we got you, welcome Chris. to the show that you're a part of. It's nice to have you. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't even a potty break. It was just, <laughs> it 
was just a break. (laughs) (laughs) How are you guys? It sounds like you're already having fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that you're here, I'm sure we're going to have a lot more fun. Oh, yes. Because you you bring the party. And, uh, (laughs) hey, I want to – you know what? Speaking of which, I think it's good to tell people um, just how – multi-talented you are so the music that you heard as our intro to the show chris actually wrote and and performed that right and recorded that no i didn't write it i just looped it i just borrowed a free loop well thank you for uh (laughs) for making sure that i am not uh giving misinformation i thought i actually thought you were uh, recording that yourself uh, no, I uh, because I do write children's music, I have access to uh, a variety of music loops, and so I found that one, and you guys chose it. Oh, so okay, that's cool. That's well, cool. Hey, speaking of this, this I think this is a, a good time right here at the beginning to give a little since we're talking about music to give a little shout out for our our program our show next Tuesday as we are going to have our first guest on the show that Chris and I and Annie will be talking to and asking questions of and his name is John Byron and he is a musician that's why I'm thinking of it at this moment he so Chris you and you and he will have a lot to talk about I'm sure just on that end and he has also been a, a part of some of the 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 school I was a part of for two years and other things where he has really walked this walk of becoming more aware of and practicing God's presence in his daily life and his moment to moment life. So he's, he's rich, not only with knowledge, you know, head knowledge about God, but also rich in practices yeah. And so we're we're going to be talking to him next week, and the subject is going to be hearing God's voice. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you hear God's voice? We talk about a relationship with God often on this show and in, in other places. People, A lot of people who are in similar streams of, of Christianity to us uh, also talk about a relationship with God. But what does that really look like? John is going to bring it for us next week and help us really, I That's think, awesome. have handholds to that. Yeah. So if you can be on live and, and this is a, if you'd never wanted to talk to Chris or I, I'm telling you, you're going to want to be live next week, 7 p.m. Pacific time. You're, you're going to want to be live to talk to John. He awesome. is amazing. Awesome. And, you know, speaking of that, <clears throat> you know, this show is designed not just for, you know, guest interviews, but it's also designed for our audience. And um, if you have a mind, please give us a call in and we'll interview you about your relationship with God and maybe just find out some things that are helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus, because that's what we're about. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That's great. Before we get started, and all the the craziness, there's two things I want to do. One, I want to make sure everyone knows, just as Chris was saying, even tonight, you you can be a part of this. 
And you can do that a few different ways. One of those ways is to call this number, 323-580-5755. 323-580-5755. If you go to blogtalkradio.com, you can you can well you, you should be there right now. You can see that number. It's it should be right there. Also, there should be a link to our to chat live with us on Facebook to ask questions, to make comments, to give us your critiques, as I said earlier, or to let us know what's working for you. That would be great. If you have questions for tonight, we would love that. You can also email us at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. And last thing, Chris, you started something I want to continue last week. It was lots of fun before. And we have a heavy subject tonight. Seems like we do a lot. Um, well, you know, it can be heavy. Dealing with critical people is, is no joke. Um, we want to have fun and talk about mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. before we get into that, thought it'd be fun. You, you mentioned some cool trivia last week. Uh, so I was curious if you had had some for us tonight. If you don't, I do. But I just wanted to know if you you were bringing it. Well, I I actually shared this yesterday uh, with a group of people. And I don't know that it's trivia, but it's just like an incredible story. And uh, it's an article that ran in the UPI. And and here's what it says. Um, McKenna and Sean married in 1977, remained together until he died in 2017 after a long fight with cancer. The woman said that uh, her husband's high school ring, which, she, which he gave to her when they were in high school and they were dating, okay, um, she'd lost the ring. She lost this ring in Portland at a restaurant. Uh, where was it? In, in the bathroom, at, at some de- oh, no, it was at a department store in Portland uh, back in 1973 as they were headed to college. Okay, and so the woman said that the ring was long forgotten, right? Except that um, the ring was found, but the ring what? was found under eight inches of dirt while this guy was using a metal detector in a forested park in Finland. What? In Finland, yes. And the ring bore the name of the school and the initials SM and the Alumni Association checked, and it could only have belonged to her husband. And so, like, after uh, 20 years, the ring was found, what? 5,000, 6,000 miles away, buried under eight inches of dirt. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I seriously <laughs> just saw that story, too. <laughs> Did that you really? Just, that just freaked yeah. me out. I, wow. Okay, so what, what's your uh, funky trivia? Well, I'll get to there, but I'm just curious if they ever found out how the ring got there. Did, did they no. ever say? No. no, it doesn't say. doesn't say. Okay. All right. Well, mine is going to be related because you mentioned how long they were married, the the length of their wedding or their marriage. Right, right. And this one is actually the longest wedding veil ever recorded. Guinness <laughs> Book of World Records. It's so funny. I had this already pulled up before you said that. See, this ah. is great minds think alike or God is 
he loves us and he's connecting us. <laughs> Take it as you will. So, okay. uh, you know, Megan Mark, if you thought Megan Markle's was, was long, this, get this, the longest wedding veil ever was longer than 63 football fields. 63 football fields. Yeah, that's 23,000 feet. Why? <laughs> yes, what Why? is the point of that? <laughs> well, just as just as Chris couldn't answer how I can't answer the why <laughs> of this one either. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, tonight Amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. What's yeah. not so amazing is that all of us at one time or another I I believe, I guess I'm assuming that all of us, every one of us is humans, but it isn't a, I think it's a safe assumption to say all of us have dealt with critical people at times. And if we're being honest, we've been the critical person at times mm-hmm. and or acted, at least acted critically in unhealthy ways. And so tonight, I think it's good to talk about dealing with critical people and also healthy ways to uh, receive criticism, even when the person giving it isn't acting in an unhealthy way. And how does how is healing in that, involved in that? And how can we be aware of God? And what is where is God in all of that for us? Can we discern him? Can we experience him in the midst and experience who he is to us and who we are to him in the midst of dealing with criticism uh, and critical people who are living in that. We talked about patterns of behavior last week who are living in a pattern of behavior of criticism that they seem to complain and criticize everyone. And so, you know, because I said we've all been there, I think it would be good for us to start with some of our stories and and I want to say this up front. We're not in this tonight or any other time to badmouth anyone, to rehash. You know, this is not a platform for me or Chris or Annie to talk about people or or to feel like we're getting some vendetta, you know, um, fulfilled that we're lashing back at people. We're This is important. Our stories... I think always, and your stories, this is why I want people to call in. Our stories are important for each other because they inspire us to, uh, to go be, to see another perspective of, of someone else, how God is working in someone else's life and how God is healing them. And, and there may be aspects of that, though we're, like Chris likes to say all the time, and it's so important. We're all on different journeys, but there are there are meeting points on our journeys where other people's stories connect with ours and help us. And that is why we're talking about this. So I want to make sure up front that we're not talking about this stuff to badmouth anyone where he, this is about helping each other on the way. Mm-hmm. And that's important. That's important. And, and I think we'll even, that will come become more uh, apparent as we go. So Anyone want to go first, talking about uh, an experience where they dealt with uh, a critical person? Well, I—I I mean, if not, I can. Let, I, I yeah, I, I, yeah. 
Okay, what were you going to say, Chris? You have a list. Well, uh, before I get into that, I just wanted to, when we're talking about critical people, are we putting that in the same category as difficult people, or are we sim- are, are we really zeroing in on critical people, and we're not we're, we're we're not necessarily addressing people who are difficult to be with, and it may not be about criticism or, in other words, I just want to for our audience to define. Um, to, to be a little bit more defined when we're talking about um, difficult people, we're actually moving specifically in the area of critical people who are critical of us, right? Yeah, and that's a great distinction. I'm glad that you made that, Chris. That's perfect because there can be people that we deal with that just are are hard to interact with because of their own issues. You know, that drag other people into those things that are not necessarily critical. They're not attacking us or or it doesn't feel like they're attacking us. They're trying to deal with things that, you know, that other people get sucked into. And then there's those people that, that we're talking about who behave in such a way. And I want to make this distinction they may, you know, they act critical. They constantly complain. They constantly uh, find the negative and everything. They they look for things to uh, to say to demean people, uh, and you know, the people around sure. them. That kind of thing. That's yes. We're we're definitely sticking to that lane tonight. Great, great. So thank you. For, okay. For that. Um. Well, uh, and I'm going to say one more thing. I, I think there are layers of um, difficulty depending on the on the person we're talking about. So, for instance, I could receive criticism from someone I don't know, and its effect could be different in contrast to uh, someone I do know who's, who's being critical of me. And, um, and then I think there are layers to that. So for instance, if, you know, the people I don't know might be people I meet at the bank or at the store or in the subway or, you know, on a bus and I'm, I'm riding that bus all the time, but I don't know them. But, um, they may not even be critical of me, but but it's clear that they are criticizing everything. They're, they're toxifying the environment, <laughs> you know, mm. and that can that can bring us down. But then, you know, there are people we work with, colleagues, or uh, employers, bosses, managers, um, and that can have an effect on us that's different. Particularly those who have authority over us, then that criticism has a different weight to it. Um, having having uh, a critical person who is a friend, but is critical, um, or a neighbor, depending on how close that is. And then you've got, you know, in marital relationships and family relationships. And, um, you know, so I think there's levels of intensity. So I can share uh, a story of a when I was working in a warehouse 
in between ministries and uh, the boss um, was critical of every single one of the employees hmm. always found something wrong with something we were doing pretty much every day. And it didn't mean that he was always a, a mean person. Uh, he could laugh and he would seem to, you know, at the beginning of the day, be very uh, jovial and friendly and so forth. But uh, there was a level of fear that everybody felt when they went to work because they all wondered how they were going to blow it that day. <laughs> oh, man. And, um, and as you can imagine, it, uh, uh, there was quite a bit of turnaround in the warehouse because even the toughest of the tough, when you had someone who could fire you or, or whatever, uh, or make life miserable, uh, it automatically put you into a please, you know, I'm going to please this other person no matter what, but the pleasing didn't come from the heart. It came out of, uh, I have to do this if I'm going to keep my job. I have to do this if I'm going to make peace for other people in the warehouse, mm -hmm. you know? Um, mm -hmm. And it just created a tremendous toxic environment. And, uh, and as a result, you know, uh, many of the uh, guys that I worked with uh, developed a real uh, hatred for the boss. Mm. Um, but every time the boss was around, you know, <laughs> had to be really nice around him. And mm -hmm. so, forth, you know? so yeah, uh, that really beats up the spirit day after day. And, uh, and then I can imagine when you take it home with you to your family, you know, you're, you're, uh, dumping all of your reactions and your anger and your depression and your moodiness all on your family who doesn't deserve it. And, right. And it just uh, multiplies the problem, you know, so. If you're not careful that you can do that, if you're yeah. not, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, right? About healing from that, the right focus to have for you. I, I heard you in that, that story talk about, uh, about, a lot about your colleagues and how they reacted to this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did not hear and the turnaround that happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about you? How did you deal with it? What, what was, what was your response? Are you, when you're talking generally about taking it home, was that personal or was that, was that what you noticed with other people? And did, how, how did you end up, you know, leaving there because of that? Like what, what's your, aspect of the story, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah. Um, no, but there, there was a problem with me sometimes taking that home, and that wasn't good. Um, um, I, my sense is that the boss felt rather threatened by me hmm. um, because... Um, what was interesting is that if, if he liked your skills, if he liked your administrative skills or your marketing skills or he liked your personality, he would move you into the marketing arena uh, of that. And so you feel like, oh, okay, 
this is this is going to work well and uh and he'll take you out to a meal uh he'll call on you to do important things or to be his representative or something like that and that might be really good but inevitably he would bite you in the butt again mm. okay and you would begin to question what were the, what what is really going on here and uh so coping with that, how did I cope with that besides eat lots of ice cream? Yes, <laughs> um, sir. Annie, would you do that? Eat ice cream? Never. Never. No. Um, and there was a time when uh, he became, and the thing is, is that he wouldn't do this in private. He would do this in front of everybody. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and you know there is certainly there is a you know a case could be made where you could take this to you know uh some authorities because a lot of people felt like there was a lot of abuse going on you know uh and also a lot of you know breaking of laws and things like that it was it was a very tough environment to work in uh, but everybody was there was so fearful of losing their job. I was the only one not fearful of losing my job. And so what would end up happening is I would, I would question him and I would confront him. And um, sometimes he would be acceptive of that. And then he would ask, uh, I would find out later opinions of others if, if, if uh, there was validity to what I was saying. A couple of times he would make changes to how things were done. Um, but then there would be other times where he'd call you on the carpet and, uh, and you'd, you wouldn't even know where this came from. I remember once where I was making a delivery in a van and it was, uh, you know, it was one of the company vans and it was a delivery from Fullerton down to San Diego and it was a bunch of ink. And so it was a pretty heavy pallet. And when I picked it up, um, I noticed that it was way overweight of what the van was supposed to have. I didn't call the boss. I called the guy who was in, who was in charge of me. And he said, just do it. We're really pressed. Just do it. Just do it. And I said, but it, we're like 1,200 pounds overweight on this van. He says, uh, uh, we have to do it. We have to do it. So I said, okay. Well, on the way down, I got a flat tire hmm. around you know, 9 in the evening. So I changed that tire. And then about a half hour later down the road, another tire blows. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so I limp it into to another place, and I'm able to get it. Uh, I'm able to get uh, a, a, another spare tire. Um, but it was just a hassle, and we were late for the delivery. Well, the next morning, he called me on the carpet for it. And, and he essentially said, that was your responsibility. And it was, but I did the right thing by calling it in. But, but I knew that if I told him that, the, that I did actually report it to the bot, to my manager, that that manager may lose his job. Mm. So I just, I just took it on the chin. And, uh, and he said, I was glad you had to change that tire all by yourself twice you know, and uh, that that's just the kind of individual he was. He, he was mm. a very mean-spirited individual. Yeah. And critical. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, 
you uh, you changed my story. I was going to share one, and you reminded me of another, and this is why <laughs> then, this is why it's so important that we share our stories. Uh-huh. And okay. it's it's uh, it takes me back to the early days of of walking with Jesus for me. And I was uh, just really new in my faith. And I was, I had a very early on, I had a a very clear sense of hearing this voice who sounded like mine, but telling me things that I would never say, you know, like back in those days, like early in my walk, I, it was I, I tell people when I first came to that place where I accepted Jesus' sacrifice for me on the cross, it wasn't fireworks, it wasn't anything like that. Mm-hmm. It, there was no sense of any change. But after that I began hearing this voice that sounded like my voice that would say things I, I, I wouldn't say. And from one of the examples I give that's so clear in my mind is I this one time this this voice said if you if you love me and want to honor me, I need you to do that with your lips, and I need you to stop saying the f word every other sentence, you know, uh-huh. and uh, and that was a big deal for me, you know, and I honestly like was like I don't know what to do with that, I don't know how to right. to deal with that. So uh, if you want that to happen, then I need you to. I need. I don't know what to do. I need you to show me how to do that. And I yeah. was at a complete loss as to how to change. Complete loss. Another. This is another story in that same time period. Uh, it's funny you're talking about deliveries because I worked in the hotel, and part of my job in the hotel of this casino, right uh, close to the border between California and Nevada, on the Nevada side, obviously, where the uh-huh. casinos are, and. About 20-something miles outside of Las Vegas, I worked in this casino. It's still there. And it's funny because every time I drive by it, that's the place where I was led to pray and ask Jesus into my life. Um, I have a very important question, though. Was this the one at State Line that has the tallest roller coaster? Because that was, like, my favorite one. No, I'm not that cool. I didn't look at – No. (laughs) No, it was in further. It's the it's one it's still there. It's a different name now. But uh so we what we would have to do, we would part of our, our job was all the guys who worked in the hotel would come out and wait for the delivery truck to bring all the linen, all the sheets, all the towels and hand hand cloths and all that kind of stuff for, for the mates. So we would take it, we would wait for the truck to get there. And we, you know, we we would be told when he was crossing a certain landmark, so we knew we had about 10, 15 minutes. You know, we'd go outside, all of us from our our areas in the hotel, and wait together. And there was a guy there that worked with us, and he 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 just had a big mouth. He liked to. I, I also had a big mouth as well at that time. No, I know it's surprising. It's shocking. Now it's just no a peephole. Yeah. What's that? Now it's What's... just a peephole. <laughs> yeah, it's so tiny. And uh, and he loved to pick on me, mm-hmm. to mock me, to make fun of me, and demean me in front of everyone else. Uh, for whatever reason, that was his thing. And 
that sense, that voice that I that I heard at that time was telling me, shut up and take it. Mm. And that's it. And just stand there and let him say whatever he wants to say without saying a word. Mm-hmm. That was the hardest thing in the world for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hardest thing in the world for me to do that. And, you know, and so why we'll talk about some of that tonight, but there was like, it was really hurtful. Like he, I mean, not only was he saying terrible things about me and making things up and saying whatever he could. And there were times where there was some truth in it, you know, and, and it was, but the fact that he was doing it in front of everyone else, like seven, six, seven other guys, some of them who I considered my friends, some of them that I wasn't sure where they stood with me. So that made it really difficult to be in that scenario. And it would just, that inevitably day after day, like that was, a, we got those deliveries every day. That was a rich, that was a, or I think at least almost every day. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was such a, a dreaded time while he was working there. Mm. You know, um, and actually I left before he did actually. So, so the whole time that we were working together, Andy, do you, uh, do you have one for us? Oh, I do, Kurt. (laughs) I, well, we'll just start it with, it was my grandmother. (laughs) And it was my mom's mom. She was very critical of females. So it was not just me. It was all females. She grew up with 12 Mm -hmm. siblings and she was born in 1915. So in the great depression where males were the cream of the crop, you know, they're not the cream of the crop anymore. (laughs) Not Not the cream of the crop. So any, and she actually moved in with us when I was in first grade because my parents had gotten a divorce and my mom needed help because she worked. So my grandmother had moved in. So anything that I did was wrong. The way I cleaned, Mm -hmm. the way Mm -hmm. I talked, the way if my brother was sitting there pounding on me for an hour and then I slugged him back so hard that he started crying oops, I would get in trouble. Hmm. So it was always I was in the wrong, and then my mom would come home and I wouldn't be in trouble anymore because it wasn't really my fault. So that's kind of how I grew up. However, I loved her like nothing nothing else, Hmm. right? Like I, I never realized how critical of me she was until I was older. And it kind of sunk in because like when I was a kid, I remember that I would sleep in her bed with her every night. I didn't want to sleep in my own room. I slept with her probably till I was 13 or 14 Hmm. and I just didn't get it that she was being critical of me. I just thought that's what it was. And then what was it? I think I was in my twenties and my younger brother has a different grandma and she had Alzheimer's, well, not Alzheimer's, but she had early dementia or whatever. And she walked up to me. We had brought her over to my mom's house for a little visit. 
and she walks up to me and she goes, man, your grandma hated you. And I was like, Whoa. oh, thanks. Open the wound. Mm. I just got over that. <laughs> mm. Wow. So. Well, and we're going to do, and I think you've, you've uh, helped us with what we're going to do next after the break. We're going to, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about what effect that kind of negativity can have on us and, and how people, how we and other people typically respond to those kind of things. And then we'll talk about what's the right response and why, and, and how do we heal from those things. Uh, so let's first, it's important we're past our break, and I apologize for that. So let's go and make sure we acknowledge all of the wonderful people who are out there that are doing great things, or some of them at least. Hey, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts, God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals, or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. We'd also like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Link Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. Okay. I I have to say, I have to stop. This may not be professional at all to do at this time. I don't care. I'm waving my hands in the air like I just don't care. This that was awesome. How professional sounding. I'm just probably probably ruining that moment of professionalism. It was a beautiful commercial until Kurt. <laughs> Try listening to yourself over and over again. That was just funny. So That's was that the, the Annie's ghost of the past <laughs> yes yeah very that was very good yeah that, that was, was annie on caffeine yeah annie that caffeine. Was, this is annie was, after a long day of no caffeine <laughs> annie in no your face caffeine. no caffeine no caffeine really none well since like one <laughs> okay that's like all day <laughs> that is a long time for some people. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk again. Let's go back and talk about the idea of what 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 does that criticism do to us if we will let it and and how often do we respond when people come at us like that? Mm-hmm. Well, and I I think part of the answer of that 
in some way goes to the level of the relationship. Okay. And you mentioned that earlier. So would you expect, you talked about the, uh, you talked well, a little I've bit been about processing this as you guys have been talking. I'm, I, uh, I, I, I try never to plan for the show. I just try to, uh, I know that sounds unprofessional. I just <laughs> am really, um, processing as, as we talk, you know, and it seems like, for instance, in a family relationship, uh, when someone is being critical, there is more grace because there's love. Um, when we're dealing with friends, perhaps the same way. With with working colleagues, um, we, we put grace there uh, perhaps not because of love, but because of what may become a future relationship, perhaps. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking that part of the answer has to do with, with who it is that, that is being critical of us. Um, and then also how enduring that is. I was really, I'll be honest with you, I was really taken back by what Annie said about the first, what, 14 years she didn't even realize that her grandmother was critical. Hmm. And I was thinking of the Bible verse where love covers a multitude of sins. And I was, I was processing the dimension of that because usually as pastors or Bible teachers or just Bible students, we usually look at that verse um, I think it's in Corinthians or someplace. I can look it up or you can look it up. Um, when we think of love covering a multitude of sins, um, it's, we either look at it as God overlooks our sins because of the great love in our heart or that we are willing to overlook the sins of others because of love in our heart. But as Annie was uh, talking, it seemed as if there wasn't even an intentionality to cover her grandmother's sins, quote unquote. In other words, there was so much love in her heart, she didn't even see the criticism mm -hmm. until someone pointed it out. And I'm going, now that is the kind of love I want in my heart. Yeah. So that when someone is coming at me, whether it's someone I, I don't know, or when I'm, you know, in a family relationship and, and someone is, is addressing me, um, that there is so much love in my heart, I'm even a better listener, perhaps. Because I think what gets in the way of listening to someone's truth in criticism, because sometimes there's truth in criticism, is that I'm angry. I'm angry at this person for being critical, or um, I don't see the truth because the criticism happens every day. And so I hear the criticism more than I hear the truth of the criticism. Right. Um, this can happen yeah. in marriage relationships a lot. You yeah. Know, where we, can, we can develop a certain, we can paint the person we love with, instead of many colors, it becomes one color, you know? And, uh, yeah, so 
What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that there are so many dimensions to this, as many people as there are peoples, peoples, peoples. That's yes, peoples, and as as many people interact with each other, different people in different relationships. And so when you were talking, Chris, about how when we are in close relationships with with others and they're critical, how we react differently than when it's a work environment or things like that and how we're more we're more likely to be open and with that person because we know they they uh they love us and rather i i have an opposite viewpoint or perspective in some uh-huh. ways i think that's true in many cases but i think it's just as true that the the people that we're closest to that we feel the most naked with that know us more it's more dangerous uh-huh. to be to it's less safe at times depending on the person to be to be uh open with them because they know us better like you just said and I think you came back to that that aspect of it just now is that they they can wound us far easily we have like we have less armor we yeah. have less protection and when, and we're like I said the idea of the word naked we're we're way more naked before them and who we are and how how we think of ourselves and so their criticisms of us can can wound so much deeper yeah it can yeah. go so much deeper into us and and I find that it can be the opposite can be true we self protect more with the people we're closest to and 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 we at least put on the guys and it was first peter 4 8 by the way was the okay, okay great was the the verse the the love covers a multitude of sins great. that's the verse i think you were talking about so peter the apostle peter wrote it in a letter to the church and the ancient church in his time and so but we can put on the, the we can protect more and and with the people around us who are closest and maybe be more raw in our response and like protect by lashing back, protect uh-huh. by by overreacting or <clears throat> leaving or getting into a big fight with them. Whereas for other people, we might at least on a surface, like you were talking about the story with your boss, everyone at least puts on the facade yeah. That they're okay with him and like him even, and he's under the impression that you know he's uh, that yes that people are are you know like they, yeah he's liked. So here's the thing that's interesting. When you said that earlier, I thought maybe the difference is isn't necessarily that that our response is different internally. Okay. But that our response is different externally. Like what if in all criticism, we feel the same way or, you know, depending obviously on the person, like you said, but it's often the first response is hurt or whatever. 
you know, anger, um, which is a second, which is often talked about as a second emotion, Mm -hmm. that there's something underneath that anger, frustration, fear, hurt in this case. Right. And, but we, but it's our outward response that we mitigate differently or we, uh, we control differently based on who we're interacting with and that we may be more raw with the people who are closest to and let things out much more easily mm. than, and have more self-control ironically enough that the people who we aren't in close, closer relationship with and, and why, and you know, like, yeah. Why is that? Because at one level, the here's why is that that we can be more self-controlled with the people that we're not as close to, and less self-controlled with the people that we're um, that we are in more in intimate relationships with. Because if we feel more naked with them, but yet we respond more right. more out of raw, like you know, then isn't there something in us saying we're safe? I remember a, uh, a long time ago when uh, uh, Dr. Phil first entered the market. <laughs> Dr. Phil. <laughs> so this is what, like 25 years ago? I don't even remember. It would be even, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I remember uh, flipping through channels, and and he was a guest on someone's show. Maybe it was Oprah's. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, probably. Probably. So he was a guest and he and somebody in that in the audience asked this exact question wow. you know, about um, how is it that at work um, I can behave well, but when I get home, I unload on my family. And and he said that that is an interesting thing. And he says what you you already have the answer you demonstrate self control at work because you know this person is paying you money but you don't do self control at home because you don't value that relate you don't value the family as much as the money hmm it's like whoa that rocked my boat when i heard that and and actually, it changed my my thinking. And he said, you know, and he gave an example of a, his solution. Um, I never really watched him again after that. But the one because <laughs> it was so good, you had everything you needed. I just never had time to watch those things. But uh, um, said, when you get home, before you put your hand on the doorknob, the front door of your home, before you do that. You must tell yourself that your family is more valuable than your job. Mm. And your relationship with your wife is more valuable than your job. Your children are more valuable than your job. Because if you don't do that, you're going to continue to unload on this safe place. And the reason we do that is because we think it's safe. But our negativity does not create a safe place for others, um, which I thought was interesting because I, I actually, in a lot of my counseling and teaching, I've actually encouraged people um, that, yes, your home, your relationships at home, those should be safe. 
but it doesn't mean that you dump your garbage on them. In other words, you don't you don't dump your truckload of CRAP all over them and then expect <laughs> them to somehow clean it up for you. Yeah. You know? Um and and uh, but at the same time, if you shut them out, that also has a, a detrimental effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't share with them what your work is like or how difficult things are, um, then at times they can feel like they are not getting all of you. In other words, yeah. they're not getting a sense of who you are. So there is this interesting balance of sharing who you are, sharing what you're dealing with at work, sharing the realities of difficult people without dumping on them all of your emotion, all, uh, all of your depression, all of your anger, because if, if you're not careful, they will take it personal. They, they will say, why are you dumping this on me? Uh, like you don't like me. How come you're, how, you know, does, does that make sense? Yeah, and I think there's a couple dynamics there that as you're talking that come to mind, and that is one, that in relationships sometimes there's a person who goes more towards the critical side, who uh, has positive qualities of a critical thinker, who mm-hmm. who looks and sees the things that are wrong in cir- circumstances and feels it is their job to point those out out of love to in in order to improve the circumstances right um so you know in in my marriage and then there's the other person who would say that you know like they're the ones who receive a lot of that criticism at times and that they that they when you're talking about shutting them out there's that possibility on that side is like not letting them in closing that off. Cause all they ever get is criticism. And, you know, and so we can be in one of those two dynamics, you know, and, you know, and there's, there's some of that dynamic, you know, on one side or the other for our, for our relationship, because, you know, and I, I am often called, you know, will refer to myself as optimist prime. Like I'm the optimist and my right. wife will, will uh you know then will respond with that she's negatron <laughs> <laughs> and so and and that isn't that isn't necessarily the case and i want to and i want to get on both of those accounts that that's not always the case it's maybe how we perceive ourselves and each other and that's i think where i want to go to in this right now is to talk about how like you know when we when we receive criticism who do we think first and foremost oftentimes our our instant reaction is who is it about like when we're being criticized okay what like when when someone comes at me and begins to tell me stuff about me and like this is you and you do this and you do that, what's my what's usually our our number one response in our minds and hearts? What who who is this about? Yeah, uh, you're a jerk. What are you doing here? 
<laughs> no, but I mean, who is it? Like, art. I guess what I'm getting at is we automatically, do, don't we, automatically, we go defensive, don't we? Self, that this but a lot of about, times it's happening from them. It's something that's happening in their world, right. and that's making them be that way. Right. We, yes, exactly. Uh, oftentimes, we're, our automatic response is the thinking about, what did I do? Uh, what did, yeah. you know, like we start going through all of our stuff. We feel bad. We feel like uh, we feel under attack, but we also feel bad. We think we start thinking about all these things, trying to place where we went wrong or what we did to create this situation. If right. nothing else to make sure it doesn't happen again, quite like what yeah. you were talking about with, with everyone in your work environment, right? right. To make right. sure that, that this, this doesn't happen again. And, and so we, we immediately go on the defensive insecurity rises up. We seek to defend ourselves. Uh, yeah. is, what about anything else in that, from that mindset? Yeah. Uh-huh. What, what else would you say is like, we, are our patterns, our behaviors, our responses when we are thinking this is about me? Chris, would you add anything to that? Well, I think it does go to uh, the kind of person you are. We talked last time about personality profiles and differences and things like that. And so everybody handles those kinds of difficult people differently. Um, But I think it's very good that you brought up the fact that oftentimes, depending on our personality, we will, we will either go on the attack in order to defend ourselves, um, bully against bully or, you know, and, and, uh, we wouldn't necessarily call it defending ourselves. We might, but our ego might get in the way and, 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 uh, just try to get meaner and bigger than the person who is, is attacking us. Uh, and it, and we're not talking physical attack. This could just be harsh words. Okay. Someone uses harsh words and they're getting upset. So you return the favor with, uh, um, not just criticism, but, um, making fun of mm-hmm. or mocking. And then they one up you and pretty soon you're elevating this, uh, this difficulty. You're not helping the relationship at all. Other people do go on a defensive and and um, and the, that kind of defense is not so much an attacking as trying to understand it. Why are you Why are you asking this? What What's going on that you're being critical of me? I'm trying to trying to process this, and uh, and they keep coming at you, and maybe they're not giving you the answer you 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 want, and maybe you can't. You're still trying to figure out where did this come from? It came out of left field. And then you have the personalities who, like you said, will blame themselves. Like, what did I do to deserve this? Um, I don't even want to understand what, what you're critical of me about or why you're attacking me. I, uh, it's kind of this flea, you know, I want to hide um, I'm going to shut down. 
I'm not going to talk to you for another two or three days. You know, I don't want to get my head off, you know? So I think, I think depending on our personality uh, style or uh, how God made us uniquely, we all handle things differently, but it is interesting that the scriptures typically don't address personality profiles. The scriptures address, this is what you're to do. This is to be your attitude. This is to be your behavior and, and doesn't go into all those distinctions. And so each person actually has to figure out how to take what, what God is saying and work it into their life, work it into their spirit. I had somebody today ask how, uh, how do I address uh, someone who's being difficult? Uh, how do I know that I'm the person to do that? Is, yeah. am, am I the one to, to be the one to address this person or is it someone else? And they were asking advice and I, I said, well, I think before, if you're seeing something that, let's say I, I'm seeing somebody attacking somebody else or being critical of someone else. In fact, I remember now there was, because uh, I was teaching a Bible study. So this subject came up and one of, one of the participants said, uh, you know, there is somebody in a church that even the pastor is afraid of hmm. and they are controllers and they control everybody and everything and their hand is in everything and people are leaving the church and people are divided and they and but they're all afraid to tell this person. And uh, they wanted to know what I would do. <laughs> and I said, well. You know, the pastor should address that. But if the pastor is afraid to do that, somebody needs to do that. And actually, God is probably telling somebody to do that. But nobody is, nobody is doing that. Nobody is confronting. And so if somebody, if God is asking you, I think before you go do that, you have to check the love in your heart. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Yeah, uh, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, that's one of the most difficult things in the whole world. Pray yeah. for your enemies. Have you prayed about this? Right. Uh, that Those kinds of things. In other words, you're looking at yourself um, as a part of the solution to the critical person. And in that scenario, it is observing a critical person. But when someone is attacking me, I think it's normal that all of us probably think I have to solve this. I have to figure out the solution. I either have to attack, I have to defend, I have to process, or I have to go tell somebody, you know, like a bully, uh, a, a kid who is suffering bullying at school doesn't know what to do. This is a big issue. Um, and what's worse is when they tell someone who has authority and nothing is done. Mm. Uh, I I remember uh, a a gal who was in high school and uh, she was raped at the restaurant she worked at. Oh my goodness. She told her mom, she told her dad, she told the youth pastor and nobody did anything. Wow. The basic message of the parents was, um, 
um, well, you're uh, you're a girl, and you're just going to have to deal with that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. And uh, so, do you think she had a problem with the church? Yeah. 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 Thankfully, she's a believer. She's a believer now, but uh, there was just no excuse for stuff like that. But but uh, the response is always within us to do something. So really, I think our show tonight is about so what are what is the correct response what are the things that we can do uh when we are confronted with critical people well i think the place to start is what one what we already said that we have to it's important for us to understand that it really isn't about us and 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 this is one of the issues that you know another aspect of when we when we think it is about us that we will launch and start pointing out all their faults, mm. right? That's another we will go on the de- yes. defensive can look like a yeah. counterattack. It's the yeah. still defensiveness, or that we begin to point out all the things we've done right. Right. Well, you're not you're you know you're not appreciating this about me. You're not appreciating this. So That's it's a good not point. Just, you we know, do not, that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Not just taking it on ourselves. So, but in all of that, whatever the response is, the core issue there, I believe, is that it's we still think it's about us. We still think it's about us because that's where we always go to first. But let's be honest. In our in our own patterns of thinking, feeling, behaving, we're very self-centered. To, in our own patterns as humans. And we're, so where we start to to reframe our minds that it is this, that this is not about us. This is about the other person and what the other person, the reason they're, they're critical, they're, con, they're, they're condemning and judgmental is because those are the voices they're hearing inside of them. Jesus said once, that it is out of the overflow of the the heart, right? The mm-hmm. mouth speaks. Is that did I say right. it right? Because I always yeah. confuse. It was out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it is out of the overflow of what's inside of us that we speak. And so, if you are hearing constantly internally, if you're if you're tuning in to the negative voices Mm -hmm. in you whether you realize it or not that's what you're going to you're going to speak there was actually a study done years ago where they were scanning you know using mri to scan the brain and they found that people who complain people are critical that their brain has been wired in that direction they found that the more that you complain the more your brain creates pathways yes. in that direction yes. and makes it easier for you to continue in that viewpoint. And the same thing is true of critical, of being critical. Uh, the more that you allow that, those thoughts, all of us hear negative. All of us, uh-huh. a lot of the times I find that people have a hard time praying have a hard time being still and, you know, with, you know, be without like finding something for distraction, whether it's just being busy at work all the time or being, or finding some kind of, of 
thing, drug, alcohol, pornography, Netflix, relationships, to anything besides being alone. The reason is, it seems like, the reason is because when they get still, the minute they get still, those voices, they, they are they are tuned into those voices of negativity. Very much so. Very and much. Condemn, condemn, condemnation, judgment, and not realizing, and this is where we are, this is where victim mentality comes in. When we don't realize when we listen to those voices, we have a choice to mm-hmm. listen to those voices. And people who have a hard time praying because they are afraid to be still, mm-hmm. because that first moment that we be we're still those that's what we hear, yeah. and not realizing that 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 person who is very critical is living out of victim mentality. Mm-hmm. They're allowing those voices to, to have their way. And we don't have to, we don't right. have to let those voices, we have a choice. Uh, now uh, we do actually, because of the spirit of God within right. the believer. Yeah. Right. We have a choice. I heard it very once say, said that our, our mind and our thoughts, our, our mind is like, uh, is like an airport. And we are the air traffic controller and every thought is like a plane that mm-hmm. we get to choose as the air traffic controller, which lands and disembarks its cargo and people into our lives, which, so do we let the, the critical things that people said continue to refrain in our hearts and minds? We let them disembark and walking around in our minds and in our hearts mm-hmm. and the cargo that they bring the negativity and all that that comes with them? Or do we say that, no, that plan doesn't get to land. And, you know, and mm-hmm. so, so where do, how, but how, and how do we get there? And I want to start with this and I want your thoughts on this, Chris, first uh, Peter, we're back to, we're going right to the same. Good. I want you to go back to first Peter because that's and, really worth talking about. And this is, and this is, um, this is where it starts. Uh, and be, before we get to the passage that you uh, mentioned, First Peter four eight, I want to take us to the top of that chapter, and it says, "Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves." Mm-hmm. Like, think of armaments, right? Weapons, armor. Arm right. yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Hmm. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So, and then it continues to talk about how those around us who are darkened in their thinking, they, they do all these things and they're surprised when we don't join in with them. And then they, then they malign us. They criticize us. Right. But, but, that's going to happen, but he says this is why it's so it's so important for you to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking of Jesus, who gave himself away completely to those who not only criticized him but wanted him dead, and he let him he gave himself over to their desires. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible way of thinking that's hard for us to understand. So here's the question I have for you, Chris, in this. What what was Christ thinking? Like it says to arm ourselves with yeah. with his way of thinking. 
So what's his way of thinking? And I'm going to leave you with that for a moment because once again, we're over our break. So that's the question I'm going to let you ponder for a moment. And then we're going to uh, talk about all the wonderful people and all the wonderful things. Cool. Hey, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts, God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals. Or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. We'd also like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Link Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word. Or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. All right. And I just want to remind everyone that we would love to hear from you. This is, an, this is your personal invite to call in and to get on the Facebook page and write your comments, your questions. Let us know what you're thinking. And then we, the should meantime, also, but we should also just mention that, uh, Kurt, you are the pastor of a community of believers in San Luis Obispo yeah. uh, called Elevate uh, Church. Elevate Church, right? Yep. Okay. Elevate and, yes, here in San Luis Obispo, yes. yes. And you... I am a part of a community of believers. I'm a pastor of a community of seniors who uh, reside at Atascadero Community uh, Christian Community, which is an assisted and independent living campus. So, yeah. Okay, so, Chris, what was... I, I left you with a question. What was Christ? We're called to arm ourselves with the same thinking that Jesus did, who suffered all yeah. of the abuse of people. So, what was he thinking? How did he arm himself? What was what was are his thoughts in that process? Yeah. Because uh, earlier, about a half hour ago, I looked this up. Um, this is in Matthew 26, and Jesus has been arrested by the religious authorities and uh so the priests are there accusing him and trying to get him to f- trying to find out who he is and getting him to uh uh you know break the law with his words commit treason or blasphemy and it's interesting in verse 67 it says then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists others slapped him and said prophesy to us messiah who hit you and I, I was thinking, uh, you know, that's probably how we feel at some, sometimes when we are being criticized and we don't, we're, we're not exactly clear why we're being criticized. What did we do to deserve it, you know? Um, so it was interesting. You were reading the first part of First Peter 4 there and, and uh, uh, interacting with that. I have a 
um, well, how am I going to explain this? Um, you know, part of how I read the scriptures these days um, is with uh, uh, an empathetic kind of approach. I think I've mentioned that to you on our on our times together, where I'm I'm kind of reading between the lines of scripture and trying to get a more uh, identification with what it is that either is being taught or what the people in the story of the Bible are experiencing and so forth. And, and so that I can relate to it and perhaps practice it. And um, you mentioned earlier this, uh, the idea that when we, when we get uh, um, negative on something, we can develop a track in our brain uh, mm-hmm. where we where we easily go to that track. And when you were talking about that, I was thinking how marvelous the human brain is because God has given us the capacity uh, to remember. And memories, uh, we can extract memories uh, recent and far away. It's, it's amazing what we can do uh, with this brain God has given us. And... Uh, um, and there's a strength to that, but there's also this, it's not a design weakness. It's a weakness that happens because of our sin mm-hmm. and our brokenness. And we can become obsessed with thoughts. So when you were talking about thoughts filling our head, because we, why we can't be quiet before the Lord, it's hard because our mind is racing all the time. So, uh, we don't, we, instead, we just get ourselves involved in TV and work and busyness or, you know, we fill our brains with games, you know, whatever it is, so that we don't have to be alone because when we're alone, we can't quiet our mind to be with the Lord. And I think part of that has to do with this, our, the capacity within us to develop these tracks, like you mentioned the airport idea, runways, you know, uh, we have these, these built-in runways that we keep allowing planes in. I love that illustration. That's a, that's an excellent illustration. Oh, thank you. But the question is, how do I actually stop that plane from coming in? Right. You know, that's the critical thing. And that's where I was, I was thinking uh, uh, of perhaps some handlebars or some some tools or skills that need to be developed within us so that we actually can say no to the plane and keep that plane from coming in. Well, and and that's the, that's what we want to get to, you know, and and so the the question is where do you think that was like, it says to arm yourself with that way of thinking of Jesus. Yeah. So the question is, yeah. yeah. So what, what was Jesus way of thinking that allowed him to, you know, like to have those handholds or whatever that he did, like to, to be able to sit there and be spat in the face, to be punched in the face. And even it says he responded with silence. Yeah. He, he did not he did not retaliate in any way 
and in fact said, Father, forgive them from the cross as he was dying. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But it says, arm yourselves with that way of thinking. So yeah. what, 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 that's, I guess what I'm asking is what do you think his, what was he thinking about? What was his underpinnings, his foundation that allowed him to, uh, to not retaliate? What, what was his thinking? Where was he right. settled? All right. I, I think I can only ex, uh, come from my own experience. Sure. Of course. And my, and, and my own journey and my own victories in this, because I am experiencing victory um, that I've never, ever experienced in my life before. Certainly not before my wilderness of difficulties, um, but it was through the wilderness of difficulties, 10 years or so, um, that God really, I, I was put in a, in a position where I had no one else but him. Hmm. And I, you could say it was like my own Garden of Gethsemane, where I just felt like I was all alone and everybody around me was asleep to my pain. Mm. Wow. And, and so that's isolation. That's loneliness. Like yeah. Huge. Yeah. And, but, but it's exactly where God needed to get me. And, and then I'm wrestling now for, you know, for Jesus. And he, he wrestled for a night for me. I feel like to, to some extent, I'm still wrestling on some things. Um, but some, some issues took me three or four years, five years to, to, to finally get to the place where, where I'm saying, okay, I give, that, I give this up. I give it up. I can't do this anymore. And that's the real thing. When you get to this place where I can't do this anymore. I can't accept this in my life anymore. Okay. When I get, when I got there, then I was saying, okay, God, how do you want me to do this? And so when we're relating this to uh, a difficult person in our life, if I'm being harassed, let's say by a difficult person day after day after day, at some point I, I have to reach the place where it's just me and God, and I have to decide who is it that God wants me to be in this relationship. And once I can decide what role I am to take in this relationship, what it is that God wants me to do, maybe God doesn't want me to do anything. Maybe I am to, like you said, yield to it as an example to the person attacking me. In other words, I'm going to demonstrate to them humility. Uh, they're trying to get a rise out of me. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to actually, because I've done the right thing. They have gotten a rise out of me. I have taken it out on my family. I have been embittered all day long at work every day. I have experienced fear going to work because I don't want to deal with this. But once I get to that Garden of Gethsemane moment where you go, I can't do this anymore. And then God has our attention. Then it's like God says, now this is what I want you to do. Mm -hmm. And for Jesus, it was 
I want you to yield to this. And Jesus is saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And when he left that garden, now there was resolve. There was no more victim. Even though I just read that they spit in his face and struck him with their fists, others slapped him, and uh, they prophesied and mocked him, who hit you? That, that no longer mattered now. You see, because for Jesus, he had gotten to this place through the garden where now it was resolved. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm to do. Um, he's no longer a victim. He's, he's moving in, but he's moving in with complete humility and yielding. And I found that that is what has brought freedom in my life is when I finally gave up and yielded. And now I'm listening to what God wants in my life. And it's interesting because in some cases, uh, I have looked at difficult people in my life and I said, you know what? Ten years ago, I would have, I would have stepped into this boxing ring with this person. Now I'm not stepping into that boxing ring. But then there are other people where I wouldn't step in, and God is saying, I want you to step into that. And mm -hmm. I'm going, wait, what? Mm -hmm. But it's because I can step into it with love and humility, and I'm not going to step into that ring as a victim. I don't Crazy. think God ever wants us to step into a, a conflict as a victim, we may feel a victim, but he needs to get us to the place where we are a victor yes. and that kind of thing. So I'll shut yeah. up. No, no, I, I no, 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 I'm just saying that, you know, go I, ahead. I want to say that that was incredible. That was profound what you just shared. And it goes all the way back to the story you shared when someone was asking your advice, right? Well, how do I deal with this situation? Mm. How do I deal with this person? And what we're looking for is principles. What yeah. we're looking for is give me, just give me the steps, give me the steps, give me the to-do list and I'll do it. But that's never what it was about between Jesus and God the yeah. Father. It was yeah. never about a to-do list. It was about relationship. And that's, that's where it all starts is mm -hmm. what you said is once we can get to the way, like what Peter talks about, if we can get, if we can be armed with the same way of thinking of Jesus, then we're no longer a victim. We're a right. victim. And we're no longer, we're no longer having to fall into like maybe helpful parameters and principles, but we are now less listening to God's voice intimately telling us who he is in that moment to us, who we are to him and who he is to that person and how we can relate to that person from him. And so I want to, I want hmm. to start with this, what was Jesus thinking? You know, like, and you, you, hmm. you mentioned, you said, what you have is your experience, and that's so profound. And the other side of that, we have, we have our experiences. God speaking to us through our experiences, and then mm -hmm. He is speaking to us through the voice of Scripture, and how those two, the both our experience and Scriptures, are meant to collide and be yeah. integrated. And so here we have the night before everything we've talked about, you mentioned him being insulted and punched and all that. The night before that, he's in, he's, he's sharing a last meal, the, the Jewish festival, the Passover. 
right? When right. They, and when they're celebrating how the angel of death passed over Israel and and didn't hurt their firstborn sons, right? Right. It says, now that night when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put in it, put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And I think that's important, that 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 one who was about to betray him and kick this whole thing into action where he was going to be killed and, you know, abused and all that, that same person was in the room at this moment. And and it says, Jesus, knowing that the Mm. Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Rose no. from the supper. He laid aside his outer garment, stripped himself, made himself naked and vulnerable, right, before mm-hmm. them, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin. And basically, right, it says he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He stripped himself before them, even the one who was about to betray him, that he already knew that. And he then got down on his hands and knees and washed their feet. Totally yeah. countercultural in every way for the master, the rabbi, to create himself undignified. And what was he thinking to do yeah. that? It was thinking what you said, Chris, which was so beautiful that he knew whose he was. He knew how the father felt about him. And you said the same thing, that you got to a point where you were all alone. You were all alone Mm -hmm. with God. There was nobody else. And the truth of the matter is, that is the truth for all of us right now. Every Mm -hmm. moment, you and I and Annie are alone with God. No Mm -hmm. one knows. Right now, even in this moment, you and I, as we're talking, we can have thoughts and feelings going on that we're not sharing, that mm-hmm. no one knows but God. And if we, if I tried, if we, tr- I mean, we go two hours on the show, and we, you know, and already, if we tried to convey every mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. and every feeling that we're thinking and feeling right now, right? No one wants to hear that, right? No one except God. Except God, yeah. The Father. Who and Jesus, right? And so here's what it comes down to is that that is what we arm ourselves with, is the same thinking of Jesus who knew that he was fully known and fully loved by God the Father. And he knew that all things that God the Father being fully known and fully loved by him, that everything had been given to him. And he knew where he was going. He was going to God the Father, if we can if we can arm ourselves with that way of thinking, mm-hmm. that Paul says with that attitude, with that posture, again of a, a son, a beloved son or daughter, a beloved child of God, and and this mm-hmm. is what what's helped me in that um, is is there's in those moments where it's bombarding us. This is where people talk about you know like memorizing scripture, like. If you memorize scripture, it's always available to you. Mm-hmm. And so there are scriptures, I think, that are fundamental for us to memorize, to understand our identity. 
and God's identity, because that's what this comes down to. Jesus was clear on God the Father's identity, and he was clear on his identity. God the Father is perfect love, and Jesus was perfectly loved. And so here's one that's really weird that, um, that I'm going to mash together. There's two verses that are quite apart. They're in the same chapter. They're in, uh, you mentioned 1 Corinthians earlier, which is Paul's letter to the ancient city of church in Cor- the ancient city of Corinth. And in chapter 13, it's quoted at weddings all the time. Sure. Love is patient. Love A is love kind. chapter. Yeah, the love. I like that. It reminded me of yeah, I'm going to show my age. The love boat. The love yeah. chapter. Okay, sorry, Annie. Um, in that chapter, there are two things that I've mashed together and memorized for myself. Okay. There's a verse that says, in that part of love is patient, love is kind. It says, love rejoices with the truth. And I think we often just go keep because we like the love is patient, love is kind part. We don't really think about love rejoices with the truth, right? Um, and later on, and there's a piece to that needs to be brought into that. And that is later on, Paul, like when we get out of that section, we think, oh, we're out of that section. And we, and we get to this point where Paul says, one day I will fully know as I am fully known. And we miss that. Paul's saying, you know, one day I'm going to see things clearly, everything of what God is doing. I'm going to know everything that's going on and all the things. Why did these things happen? Why did were these people allowed to abuse me? I mean, Paul was abused, right? I mean, he was whipped. He, he talks about bearing the scars on yeah. his body of his, of his passion. And, yeah, for God, I bear the scars, you know, and he, and he even uses that as – as a um, an argument for people who are criticizing them, don't criticize me. If look at the scars I bear on my body, right? For the for the this, I, it's evident what I that what I'm doing is out of love, right? No one does sacrifices like this out of love. But where did he get to? He was he said one day, I will fully know as I am fully known, as I am fully known. One day I will fully know, but right now I'm fully known. And if you go back and mash that, and I put those two together, love rejoices with the truth, and I am fully known. I am fully known and rejoiced over by God. So are you. So is Annie. And every moment when we get down and we wrestle with being still and quiet before God to hear his voice, the reason why is because we equate those condemning, critical voices as God. And so many people do. So many people do. Yes. And, and it's because we misunderstand God's identity. Yeah. And Jesus says, he said it very clearly. He said this in John chapter 8, I judge no one. In Romans 8, he says, uh, Paul says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so if we're armed with the thinking of Jesus, if we're armed with the idea that we're fully known and fully loved, that he, he knows us, we're fully known, and he rejoices over, he rejoices over mm-hmm. who we are. 
-hmm. and that we're his beloved. There's so many scriptures that start off with the word beloved, and we pass right by that to get to what they're talking about. Beloved, and then it goes on. But if we were to memorize those those scriptures, yeah. if we were to memorize those and keep those with us so that when we get quiet or someone's criticizing us, then we can begin to arm ourselves with the same thinking of Jesus. And that changes. It does. Then it goes to what you said, Chris. Then we can go to the Father who's always with us, always rejoicing over us. We're always loved by him, even when we fail. Fail. like Even when it is us, mm-hmm. that the criticism is warranted, even if it's coming across in a harsh way or someone, like you said earlier, who is constantly um, – it's their constant mode of operating pattern of, of behaving. So we are just, we just bypass it. We don't even listen. It just goes like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 you know, like, right. But when, if we can have, if we can begin to memorize scriptures that tell us who we are and who God is to us, if we can really take the time to memorize those, those we're armed then with that, not with the victim mentality, with a victor, mentality that this person even when i fail god is rejoicing over me and he's compassionate to me i've had experiences now where i've failed badly and i'd like to say and this is going to be a uh, you know pardon my expression but i've screwed the pooch i say that you know at times i've really messed up bad and i've had these experiences of god's compassion Uh god's compassion with me and actually giving me gifts that I don't deserve in that moment of peace and joy when I have done like the worst things in my, in several years and even hurt my wife. And like that happened six months ago where I just really hurt my wife mm-hmm. and, and just was not in a place and I was blaming her. And I would not receive any criticism, not any of her telling me that I was wrong. It was her fault and that nothing could change me until God was compassionate and loved me and showed me like his peace. And re- and I wept broken by the love of God. And that is where, you know, what I find, that's where we start uh-huh. to arm ourselves. That's the victor. So what you said, Chris, was, uh, was just, yeah, your experiences are backed up by scripture. Uh-huh. Your experiences are in alignment with, with exactly we're not we're all alone except for God in our hearts and minds and we can invite him into every moment and ask him like you said what do I do in this moment do I get in the ring or do I do what I had to do with that guy you know and here's why this is so profound for me because the only time and this is where a lot of people are coming from why they're critical and I said cuz they hear those voices when i was growing up in my family of origin you know the and i'm a words of affirmation guy so even criticism is really hard for someone who wants encouraging words all the time cuz that's their love language that's my one of my love languages my my family of origin the only time that i was told i love you was when i was being disciplined that's the only time my family ever, anyone in my family ever said, I love you. There was no proactive. I love you. It was only when I was sat down to be told I was wrong 
and what I needed to do to correct it. And the words were spoken over and over and over and over again. I love you. So this is why I tell you these things. This is why I tell you these negative things that you and these things that you need to correct because you're wrong. And I need to tell you that because I love you. Mm-hmm. So how freeing is it mm-hmm. to hear God say, I love you and come to him and, and respond, you know, and memorize these things and, and see that. So your experiences are so incredible. Your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's, um, I think, I think we're in alignment on all those things. And I suspect that the goal of God for every person on earth is to get alone with them. And, um, and for the believer who, who is in a devoted relationship with God, it is extremely challenging to, uh, to get to that place. Um, it's amazing how many times have, have you and I taught, you know, in front of people, this encouragement of getting alone with God and how difficult it is for people to actually do it and for us to actually do it as speakers and teachers. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm such a hypocrite on this because I don't, I don't actually know how to be alone with God in a way that I sense that he loves me. Um, and so I dump all my stuff on him and then I leave the room and, uh, and, and, and the space with him. And... Um, and so it's not really a positive experience being with him at times, uh, you know, for, for many times in ministry. Uh, it was something that needed to be done in my schedule. Hmm. When you put God on your schedule, I know people say, put God in your schedule. Well, for me to think that just uh, treats God like anybody. And that was, personally, I couldn't do that. Um, so the, the time that I was with God, I wanted it to be uh, special and beautiful. So I found myself doing getaway times or going, uh, I, I found myself going on more and more walks, uh, um, which which was helpful, but even in the walks, remember, I, I think I said this to you, learning how to be with God rather than just be with me. You know? <laughs> right. You're thinking you were in your own head. Yeah. You think you're with God because he's with you, but really you're just letting airplanes come in and out <laughs> like your illustration. You're just letting airplanes come in and out and you're, and, uh, and, and kind of, thinking you're, that God is with you in all of this. And, um, you know, the goal of this show was actually to take believers to a deeper place in their relationship with God uh, through the, the difficulties of life, the life hurts part. And that when God heals, he actually heals us to a better place, uh, a deeper place, a safer place, um, a bolder place. And uh, the, it's interesting for me that um, 
the place that God wants to get us to is not where where I do all the talking, but actually right. where he does all the talking. You know, it's interesting. You go through the scriptures. Most people don't realize this, that, that uh, what is it, all the way through the up to um, – I think it's the middle of Samuel, 1 Samuel. So Genesis to 1 Samuel, God talks more than man does mm. in the Bible. And, and there's just more recorded words of him talking than people talking. And I, I find that fascinating. And, um, and I, I go, that, that's, that's where I want God to be with me. But I actually have to and we talked about this earlier, get to a place of quietness. And how do I get to that place of quietness where I can tell the planes, uh, you're not coming in. I don't want you to come in here. You know, um, there's a couple of things that I do. I recognize that there are times with God where I actually need to have him address the things that are bothering me. And say so that, we talk about Can you say I, that again? I, I come to God needing him to address the things that are creating conflict in me or creating problems, you know, whether it's a problem at work or a problem at home or um, a relationship thing or even a financial thing, whatever it is, I, I need God to address that with me. So I do have periods of time when I'm with God for that. Do you, do you ask, like, does that mean you ask like ask how do you present that to him do you say god here's this issue what do i what do i do about it what do you what are you that's exactly what i do i say lord um um i really need some time with you uh to have you uh speak to me about this situation and then i say i know you know the situation uh but i also know that you want to hear my thoughts on it so I know you read my thoughts, but I lay it out for him. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's my, here's was my immediate reaction. Here's where I felt bad about this or that. Um, I have anxiety about this, or I have anger about this or bitterness. And then, and then I say, after I've said all that, instead of like in my earlier years, then leaving, <laughs> and going back to work or going back to playing with my kids or whatever and feeling like, well, I spent time with God. No, I didn't. Now it's a matter of actually being quiet and saying, Lord, what do you think? And, and now, it's, now it's the development of a discipline where uh, now, I don't want any other stray thoughts. I don't want any other airplanes landing in my airport. And it's amazing because Satan, the enemy, the tempter, will come in with all kinds of blazing thoughts, you know, to pull me off of this time with God. But the more dedicated you are to this, I want God to speak, you can, you're, you're exactly right. You can tell that plane you're not coming in because I need to hear from the Lord. So I am actually creating quietness. And I'm, I am never disappointed. Usually within a half hour after I'm quiet. And, and how am I quiet? I just picture myself uh, before the throne of God. 
and um, I just use imagery to help me with that and to keep my focus. And if anything, just keep my eyes closed and I just bow before him, just like in the book of Revelation where all the creatures are bowing before him and in their silence. So hmm. I'm just waiting. And then it's amazing that God will actually speak into my thoughts exactly what I needed. Hmm. And then I, I have a time of Thanksgiving and he kind of gives me some ideas or I, maybe I come up with those ideas about how to implement them and so forth. Um, but it is amazing to me that in the last, I would say three and a half to four years now, when I've developed this discipline of listening, God never disappoints. He actually puts in a thought that I have never thought of. Sometimes hmm. it's a solution. Sometimes it's a step to take. It's not the whole solution, but it's something that I'm supposed to do now. And sometimes it's this, I don't want you to do anything. Don't do anything. Not right now. The time's not right. And I, and I have a piece about that. So in a, in a practical way, that's, that's how my, my times are. So there are times where I'm asking God, I need counseling, okay? And the Holy Spirit's giving me counseling. And then there are other times where I, I even, uh, this happens like three or four times a week. I go, Lord, I don't have any emotions right now. I don't have any feelings. In fact, I don't have a single thought right now. I am so fatigued. And so I'm just going to sit here before you and, and be quiet. And I'm going to let you speak. And boy, it's amazing what he brings to my, to my mind. He'll bring scriptures. He'll bring songs. He'll bring memories. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty wonderful. It's pretty well, wonderful. When you hear a song in your mind, do you go back and listen to the song in that moment? No. Okay. No. I no. actually do. So there's a difference right there. I just want to highlight that. Uh, sometimes when I'm about, I'll go out on um, a prayer walk and um, I will, I will have a song when I wake up instantly in my head. And so I'll listen to it. I'll, I'll, it's like I'll take that as a sign that I need to listen to it, and I'll listen to the lyrics. I'm very lyric-oriented, so I'll listen to the lyrics, and I find God speaking to me often through the song that I wasn't, you know, that I just woke up, happened to be in my head, mm -hmm. and I listen to those lyrics. A lot of times they're worship songs, but that's not always the case. Sometimes they're rock songs that I listen to, and I've mm. had times where God's, you know, like spoke so clearly through that those lyrics so yeah. i'd say you know sometimes pay attention not you necessarily but uh -huh. for you you're very musically inclined and you may have the whole song in your head um, well it's so not so much about that kurt it's that uh uh earlier you know in my because uh, i was a music pastor for several churches for about 18 years 15 18 years and i got burned out on music and uh, mm. and so I, I really got damaged. <laughs> I was damaged goods when it came to music. And so, um, but it's all been part of a journey where I'm, I'm actually moving away. I'm moving my whole life from uh, what I call an emotional dependency. Because as a creative person, I, I think I'm a creative 
artistic person. And so God made me that way. And so I'm very, uh, I resonate with emotions and feelings and, uh, I enjoy bringing, uh, positive emotions and feelings to other people's lives. But through my wilderness journey, uh, it has led me to, of some very dark places, those emotions and feelings. And so God has progressed me to, to learning emotions and feelings in the spirit. Uh, you know, what, what are the things that God wants me to feel um, rather than what the world or, or what other Christians uh, have intended? And I'm not saying there's anything bad about the music because I used to be a part of that. It's just I... I am very resistant now to being moved by emotion as a first place. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I am training myself because I am a very rational guy. I love theology. I've studied it all my life. You know, um, uh, I, I can get obsessed and absorbed uh, uh, with, with uh, the, the great truths of scripture and all of that. Um, so I always felt like I was balanced, but through my wilderness, I became out of balance. Hmm. And, uh, and so all of my, um, the, the creative artistic aspects that God designed into me, uh, I, I, I went into a free fall, uh, during the hard times of my life. And so getting back <laughs> to a place of balance actually um, uh, coming to truth first and then letting, letting the joy or the emotions of the kingdom of heaven actually express themselves through me uh, rather than searching for feelings or, or things. And I'm not saying you're doing that. Um, no, no, I'm not doing There is a healthy part. God sure. created us with emotions and feelings. Yeah. Uh, I just can't let them dominate my life like they did before. Yeah. Which was crucial to creativity, by the way, to be creative. You, you know, you're a creative guy. You you had to lead lots of children's ministries and things in your past. And and that takes a lot of creativity and emotion and thinking about how to make kids feel great and positive and yeah. and together and all those things, you know. So, well, yeah, there's there's a point, though, that, you know, in Proverbs that tells us to, to be careful not to have zeal. It is not good to have zeal and miss the way. Oh, excellent. Right. Excellent. And I got to look for that proverb, yeah. And so there is that there is that balance. There's passion is important. Yeah. Uh, emotion is important, but is also also inviting God, you know, there is a there's a point and this is what we're talking about tonight. I think it's inviting God into the conversation, into our thoughts and feelings to let him guide those things, both yeah. the thoughts and the feelings and the behaviors. And, uh, and, uh, I, uh, I, and I think what's important in this, you know, in the, in the time we have left, I would, I would like to talk about, you know, we've talked about, and I want to make it clear, we've talked about how in the moments where we're being criticized and critical how we can arm ourselves with the right way of thinking. So there's, there's that reactive side there's also a proactive side because let's be honest, we are living in a world where we're always going to be wounded. And 
there are going to there are wounds in our past that we from being you know criticized by people that maybe have been left unattended and things like we're talking about protecting ourselves now or guarding ourselves with the right arming ourselves with the right attitude now but in the last few moments unfortunately we only have a few can we talk about how do we you know like how do we go back we can't go back to the past in fact nope. only we are people who live in the present only right yeah. Yeah. going back to Jesus saying blessed are the poor in spirit and we are so poor all we have is the present the future is not yet ours and the past is gone so how do we heal and you know we talked about forgiveness but uh, so we don't have to go back into that. We a few weeks ago we talked about forgiveness, but how do we also like deal with the past that we don't have anymore? The critical things that we're saying that maybe are still with us, maybe we're not even realizing we're operating out of reactions and responses to the things people have said. Chris, uh-huh. what what do you think? Like from your processing, how do we do that? How do we? Yeah. Well, um, for me, I, I realized because, you know, really everything in my life fell apart kind of all at once <laughs> within the space of three years, just so much uh, collapse. And um, I, I had to realize, and it took a while, that I couldn't fix everything all at once. And the memories were flooding me, all the could have, should haves, would haves. Um, so the, the critical thing was being able, I can't let go of the memories, but, but I have to get with God. That's what I would just say. You have to get with God and it may take a lot of time to actually dump everything out, but I would encourage a lot of journaling or recording of your memories, things of that nature, um, getting them out on paper so that you don't have to rehearse the videotape in your head over and over and over again, just getting things out on paper. Um, and, but, but for me, the critical thing was you got to spend time with God. You got to do that. Invite him in. I would say that the first and foremost thing that I would want people to hear is you are safe with him. That's why you can invite him in. If there's nothing we've said tonight, you are safe with God. In fact, go back to the picture of Jesus knowing whose he was and where he was going and, and all that had been given to him. And he put himself at his disciples feet and washed their feet. This we often see like when the criticisms come, we think God's behind that, He's judging us, He's condemning us. But we that is such a good picture to memorize that and see. Jesus is never above us pointing yeah. down, speaking down to us. He's Only our adversary. Yeah. Yeah. He's at our feet. That's right. He's at our feet. That's right. He's at our feet. And so the God who was and is and is to come is at your feet serving you you're safe with him so you can invite him as you said chris you can invite him to show you his perspective on your past and that is all the time we have left and very good want to say thank you for listening and if you got things out of this we would love to hear from you and if you have some suggestions or critiques we want to hear those too thank you so much Life got hurt. Take care, everybody.
see you next time. Bye.